Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. On today's show, we'll feature storytelling from a gay Latino point of view. I'll share my own tale, The Little Charro, about growing up in South Texas and gender bending in my community long before it was popular or accepted. My story will center on going against machismo attitudes and getting unlikely support from strong women in my family. I want to thank all our listeners for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Come see me on Monday, July 10th from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at the Unidos U.S. Annual Conference. I will be moderating Fighting for Justice with Dignity, a conversation with our LGBTQ familia at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center in Washington, D.C. For more information about this conference, visit unidosus.org. I'm also excited to announce that I'll be presenting an LGBTQ panel at the 89th Annual LULAC National Convention and Expo on Friday, July 20th from 2 to 3.15 p.m. at the Phoenix Convention Center. I will moderate Latinx Solidarity, Building Bridges in Action Through Intersectionality. For more information about this conference, visit lulac.org. That's L-U-L-A-C dot O-R-G. And here's your weekly news update. Last week, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy announced that he will retire, allowing President Donald Trump to appoint a second conservative judge in less than two years. If that number doesn't scare you, check these other numbers out. More than 2,500 Hispanic children were taken away from their parents at the border in spring 2018. The majority have yet to be reunited, and thanks to a federal court decision last week, the government has less than 30 days to try to make things right. Another number, over 4,600 citizens of Puerto Rico died in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria in the fall of 2017 because of the inadequate response by all levels of government. The voting rights of Texas's 9.4 million Latinos were set back for a generation thanks to a Supreme Court ruling by the conservative majority that permitted the state of Texas to use maps adopted for the purpose of preserving racial discrimination. Next, the 2020 U.S. Census is proposing to include a citizenship question which adversely affects the turnout and future representation of Latino districts throughout the United States. But the most unbelievable number I will share with you today is 14 million. That's the number of Latinos who did not vote in the 2016 election for president and for their members of Congress, which allowed these tragedies for Hispanics in the United States to happen in the last two years. No one is coming to save us. We have to save ourselves. Hence, it is time for us to register to vote and for those 8.9 million permanent residents who are eligible to become U.S. citizens, ya es hora. It is not okay that a federal government that was able to erect a tent city detention center for thousands of immigrants within days on the Texas-Mexico border could not provide the same type of tent 
for Puerto Ricans who went without shelter for weeks. You need to wake up, pay attention, and register to vote. Go to your local public library, post office, county election office, or go online and visit vote.gov to register today. Elected officials are working against Hispanics each day to make it harder for you to vote by requiring multiple forms of ID, limiting polling locations in minority neighborhoods, and restricting early voting days. But the worst thing that hurts the Hispanic community is not bothering to vote on election day. Today I'm going to share a story about an amazing mom, a curious child, and a community that celebrated change in a positive manner. Way before marriage equality, will and grace, and the It Gets Better campaign, there was just children and parents navigating sexuality and gender all by themselves. Sure, there were probably some books out there on the subject, but they were non-existent or too taboo to be in any South Texas library in the 1970s, which is where my story begins. Welcome to The Little Chapel. Picture it, 1977. 41 years ago in a little town called Brownsville, located on the southern tip of Texas by the border by the sea, lived a little boy named Jesse, me. I was six years old and loved music, art, and dance, and every year I anticipated the return of my town's biggest event, the Charro's Day Parade. Now, the parade is named after the Charro, a vaquero who performs in the Mexican rodeo. He is a handsome caballero who wears a matching pant and jacket, bright white shirt, and colorful fabric that ties into an amazing knot. The outfit showcases embroidery that sparkles just as bright as the designs on his sombrero. Bright colors, marching band, paper mache floats overlo overloaded my senses each year and I couldn't wait for my family to take me. Being a first grader, I couldn't perform in the parade. I would have to wait a couple of years, and then I had three choices. A. Dance with a girl to a folkloric routine. B. Play an instrument in a marching band. Or C. March like a soldier in the ROTC. I chose D, but I'll get to that in a second. Someone who didn't have to wait was my 12-year-old sister Lupita, who we called Lupita Chiquita, who was named after our mother Lupita, known as Lupita Grande. Lupita Chiquita was one of the best baton twirlers that had come out in the parade since the fourth grade. I didn't know if I admired my sister or if I was just plain jealous. I was only six years old and I didn't understand those emotions just yet. But one thing is for sure. We hated each other growing up. We were forced to get along and watch over each other since our parents had to work long hours. Lupita Chiquita and I spent long afternoons at Clearwater Elementary that January in 1977. I had to tag along everywhere she went. As soon as the school bell rang, Lupita Chiquita and her squad spent hours upon hours twirling batons preparing for that parade in February. 
Step, kick, throw, and catch. Step, kick, throw, and catch. I spent hours waiting on the sidelines, watching them. Then, one afternoon, while the squad took its regular break, I picked up my sister's baton, and I started doing the routine. Step, kick, throw, and catch. Step, kick, throw, and catch. I did it so easily, so effortlessly. I just picked up a baton and did what came natural. I twirled. Suddenly there was silence. The squad was shocked. Some of the members were amazed. Lupita Chiquita, she was furious. Once again, her little brother was stealing her spotlight. In this little town where machismo ruled, I was breaking the social norm. I didn't want to start a revolution. I just wanted a twirl. While I kept on entertaining the girls during practice, the squad leader started brainstorming. How about we put this boy in our parade lineup? Clearwater Elementary would make history by putting a boy in the formation. So they took their idea to the drill team sponsors. Now, Miss Torres, a young teacher with long hair and bell bottoms, loved the idea. Groovy. Then they went to their other drill team sponsor, Senora Alviar, an older parent teacher assistant whose short cropped hair, stern polyester pants suit, and resting scowl predicted her reaction. Absolutely not. Boys do not twirl batons. Meanwhile, I, a boy, just kept twirling a baton. The girls in the squad were upset that I couldn't perform. Lupita Chiquita? She was upset that her brother was causing all this commotion. Why does it always, always have to be about him? I was upset that me... A first grader was being considered for a spot in the parade, but grown-ups I looked up to decided it was wrong. For the first time in my six-year-old life, I felt different. Did I do something wrong? I just wanted to twirl a baton. Mommy, am I in trouble? Enter Lupita Grande. Lupita Grande was a working mom who woke up every day at 5 a.m. She took her rollers off, cooked breakfast, dressed her kids, and piled them onto her station wagon to get them to school by 7 a.m. and race to work to clock in by 8. All she wanted was to make sure that her kids got a good education and that school was fun. Obviously, I was Lupita Grande's favorite. If Little Bear was hurt, Mama Bear would come in roaring in. So you can just imagine how upset she became when she heard about what went down at Clearwater Elementary the day before. The next day, Lupita Grande climbed into her station wagon and rushed to school, probably with rollers still in her hair, to go see the principal. As expected, Principal Gregory, a nice white man, began to lecture Lupita Grande about the proper roles for boys and girls. Then Lupita Grande clapped back. Children should be allowed to express themselves. If kids have talent, then they should be able to use it. 
Just because my little boy wants to twirl a baton doesn't make him any less of a boy. It just makes him a boy that can twirl a baton. Maybe it was the tone of Lupita Grande's voice. The audacity of her challenging the system. Or maybe the fact that a mother took off time from work to ensure her boy had his moment in the sun. But Principal Gregory listened. He probably had always wanted more parents to be engaged with his school. And he finally saw one of those parents in front of him sitting in his office. That afternoon, history was made in Brownsville. Lupita Grande was ecstatic. She couldn't wait to tell me the good news that I could come out in the parade. But she had to solve her next dilemma. What would Jesse wear? You see, the girls in the squad all wore long white boots, white blouses, and blue skirts showcasing Mexican art outlined in shiny sequins. But what about me? Lupita Grande got her answer from an unlikely source. Enter Otila, la suegra. Lupita Grande's mother-in-law, Otila, questioned everything she ever did. Her punishment for marrying Otila's firstborn son was to suffer from constant second-guessing. Everything from how to make tortillas, how to, to clean a house, how to raise kids. The deeply religious Otila, who dedicated a wall of her bedroom to the second coming of Christ with 24-7 candles and rosaries, overheard what Lupita Grande had done in school. So Otila summoned Lupita Grande to her home. Lupita Grande dreaded what Otila would say. Why are you embarrassing the family? Why is my grandson twirling a baton? But wait for it. A plot twist. You see, I was one of Otila's favorites. I was the firstborn son of her firstborn son which automatically put me on a pedestal. I probably got top billing when she prayed for all her grandchildren twice a day in front of her Jesus portrait, whose eyes follow you. Otila, for the first time in history, didn't question Lupita Grande. In fact, she told Lupita Grande to stop looking for a uniform to match those huercas in that squad. Her grandson will march in a charro outfit. That's right. A child-sized shadow outfit that belonged to my older cousin got handed down to me. Otila said that if her grandson was going to march in the parade, he better be the main attraction. All that was missing was a horse and a six-shooter, but a baton would suffice for now. The day finally came. Clearwater Elementary lined up at the city stadium and was ready to march down Elizabeth Street. The squad was in formation and there I was in front, in my stance, with my baton perfectly aligned with the rest. My heart was ready to be out of my chest, and I knew all eyes would be on me that day. What I was doing made people feel funny inside, but I didn't care. I just wanted to march in a parade. Suddenly, the whistle blew, and the sounds of percussion and horns filled the air. All I remember were the cheering crowds keeping up with the routine and then seeing my mother's face. Lupita Grande, who raced from work, made her way through the crowds and ran up to catch up with me. She kept cheering me on that day, 
and throughout my life. She allowed me to believe that being myself is okay. And if you have a talent, pursue it. Lupita Grande had no idea if I liked boys or girls. What she saw was her little boy that felt connected to the world for the first time. Look, mom, I can step, kick, throw, and catch. Step, kick, throw, and catch. Yes, you can, mijo. Yes, you can. So that was my story. I've shared this story twice in public and received positive feedback that I decided to dedicate a podcast to it. While many see me as the hero in this story, the real hero is my mom, Lupita Grande. She could have easily decided to stop me from playing with that baton and shelter me from the name calling and the ridicule from adults, but she instead allowed me to pursue a dream. She didn't crush my spirit. I got to have a happy ending early in life. My first big battle in life and I won. Imagine if every LGBTQ child had that opportunity. LGBTQ children not only have to deal with being ostracized at school, but being rejected at home results in so much damage that teen and adult LGBTQ individuals are left to unpack all those feelings throughout their lifetime. I was able to escape that fate and grew up with all the confidence in the world thanks to caring parents. Lupita didn't need some PhD author to tell her how to raise a child. She relied on common sense and unconditional love. And for that, I will always be grateful.